There you go. So today is a, what I would call a trap Sunday for me. And by that, I mean, you know, say you're like, uh, you know, a, a college football team and you got a great thing going and then you have a big game in two weeks and you come up to this game against somebody like, I don't know, Baylor. Um, and you're like, it's Baylor. It's Waco High. Like, we need to worry about them. And all of a sudden, things get a little scary. It's one of those trap games because your eyes are focused beyond that and you get trapped up in the moment that you're in. This is a trap sermon for me because I am ready for next week. I am excited about next week. I am uh, fired up about it. In fact, so much so that we're going to talk about it um, after, after my sermon. Um, but uh, I know that I need to continue on with what I'm doing. Next week um, begins the season of Advent, November 29th, the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, and, and I'm excited about it. I lo- if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I love me some Christmas. I get excited about it. Yesterday, last night, was the holiday parade, and so we went, we, we packed up the kids, and we strolled down a few blocks to see the holiday parade, and Santa Claus drove down Broadway, so it is Christmas season now. I, am ex- I almost wanted to go home and put up my decorations, um, but I just, there's something in my geneticist, the, you know, genetics that says you can't do that until after Thanksgiving, so um, if you are one of those weird people that has had them up since, like, I don't know, Halloween, you should get a Stephen Minister. Um, so, but I, I'm really excited about that. So I, I have to say uh, that we will, we have set aside some time at the end to, to talk about what's going to happen the next four weeks. But today, I don't want to do any less justice to the woman that we began to speak about last week. If you remember, if you were here last week, we uh, began the story of uh, John chapter 4, when Jesus goes and he has this encounter with um, the only way she's known in the Bible is the woman at the well. And it's an interesting title, the woman at the well. I'm sure she could be called many things, um, many of them not nice. Uh, If you remember from last week, basically this is what happens, okay? Jesus is trying to get from one place to another place. Uh, He's trying to go back to Galilee, I believe, and um, he could have gone the way Jews would have normally gone. See, if there was, there was a region, Galilee and Judea, and in between was Samaria. Now, Jews and Samarians, um, the Samaritans, they didn't get along very well. Uh, um, that's kind of underselling that as well. They didn't get along at all. And so a Jew would do everything in the Jews' power to not come in contact with the Samaritan. In fact, if they were traveling from Judea to uh, Galilee or vice versa, they would cross the Jordan River make their travels, and then cross back over the Jordan River so that they would not have to walk through or travel through Samaria and encounter a Samaritan. They didn't like them. The the relationship was sometimes even violent and hostile between the two groups of people. Where they came from was um, 700 years earlier than the time of Jesus or in the time of the exile. uh, The Samaritans, who were Jews and not called Samaritans, Uh, were left behind Uh, during the time of the exile. The king of Babylon took most of uh, the Jews away, but he left a group behind. And for 70 years, the time of the exile, these Jews became the Samaritans uh, because they lived with other conquered peoples uh, that the king put upon them. And they began to, over the course of seven decades, intermarry. So they weren't marrying just with Jews. They would marry outside of their own faith. And 
And because of that, other faith kind of uh, tendencies and religions kind of started seeping their way in to the Jewish faith of the Samaritans. So when the Jews came back and they saw what happened to their fellow Jews, they were just detestable to them. And, and they, they kicked them out and they sent them away. And, um, and from that point on, they just really didn't like each other. Uh, the, the Samaritans did, however... Um, still hang on to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books that are attributed to Moses. They believed in the Messiah and waited for the coming of the Messiah the same way the Jews did. They had a little different vision of who the Messiah would be, though. Because they were so heavily Moses-based, they were looking for someone who was like Moses. Whereas the Jews kind of took a little bit more, and they were looking for maybe a nationalistic leader. Um, somebody who would kind of be a, almost a political figure, if you will. And so there's a little difference in the type of person that they were looking for in the Messiah. But they both were looking for the Messiah. So when Jesus encounters this woman at the well, and, and, and he sits down, and it, it's the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, where no person would have gone to the well, here comes this woman, this Samaritan woman. And he come, she comes up to the well, and Jesus is sitting there, and he says, Hey, can a guy get a drink um, or something along those lines? <clears throat> what does a guy have to do to get a drink around here? Um, and, and, you know, first of all, he never would, you know, a Jew never would have spoken to a Samaritan, much less a Jewish man speaking to a woman while they were alone. So there was all kinds of social norms that Jesus was just shattering here. And the Samaritan woman realizes this. And she's like, whoa, why are you a Jew speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? And furthermore, how can you possibly get water from this well that is so deep when you have nothing to get it with? And Jesus says, I'm not offering that kind of water. I'm offering you a different kind of water because he offers her a drink. And uh, it goes on a little bit to, uh, to Jesus kind of calls her out and says, hey, go back and get your husband. And she says, um, yeah, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you've had five. And you're living with a man right now that you're not married to. So she could have been called a lot of things and probably was called a lot of things in her society, which ended up sending her to the well at the worst possible time of day to get water and her encounter with the Messiah. She then says when he when he reveals this information about her having many men in her life, she goes, now, wait a minute, you've got to be a prophet to know this. And so she turns the whole scenario. So she, oh, so how come you Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem? But yeah, we, we think that we should worship over here. And this is where I was intending to go with this sermon today is, is on this, this part. But we're going to do that next week instead. But what Jesus basically says is, look, man, there's a time coming when it doesn't matter where you worship. It's not going to be just in Jerusalem. It's not going to... The place where you worship is not going to matter. It's how you worship. That's the most important thing is worshiping in spirit and truth are the words he uses. Worshiping with everything you are. I don't care if you're in a sanctuary wearing a robe, in a gym with their shirt untucked. If you're, in, if you're outside somewhere, I don't care what you're doing to worship God. Just worship God is basically what he says. She's like, whoa, this is cool stuff. You know, there's this Messiah dude coming, and Jesus says, Hi, my name's Jesus. I'm the Messiah. 
If you look back in John, this is the first time he calls himself Messiah. Calls himself Son of Man. He kind of alludes to it, points people to it. But right here, he says, I am the Messiah. That is huge, I think, that he would do that first to a Samaritan woman. I think that speaks volumes as to Jesus' ministry and where he came and why he came. But he says, I'm the Messiah. She's like, wow. Her head's blown and she runs back into Sakaar, the the, uh, city where she came from, to tell all of her friends. About this time, the disciples come back. Now, the disciples had gone on to get um, Jesus something to eat and he just, he was tired, so he said. I mean, he's he's got here, he got tired, but he he, like sits down as well and says, hey, y'all go ahead, I'll be fine here. And the disciples come back. And they have this encounter with him. Now, the encounter they have with him, basically, um, I'm going to read it in just a second, but here's how I'm going to sum it up. Uh, It's not your department. So think of those words. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. No, he said, I have food you don't know about. Who brought it to him? The disciples were questioning one another. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one person plants and someone else harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and you will gather the harvest. It's not my department. That is a phrase I use quite frequently in our home. Um, And I like it because it's one of those things where I can just kind of... Not my department. When the scenario comes up, it's not my department. And just kind of push something aside. Actually, this morning I was uh, speaking with a few people in the parlor, and one of them asked if I had, have you bought your turkey yet? And I went, that's not my department. And um, the woman who was sitting there at the time said, that is such a male answer. (laughs) And I I was like, whoa, wait a minute. No, it's not Jenna's department either. That's her mother's department, you know, or her grandmother's department, depending on the year. But that's not our department. And uh, and they kind of laughed. And I said, hey, I have other things I have to do. That's just not one of them. And that, I mean, that's kind of how I use that. It's not that I want to get out of things. It's not like when she comes and says, hey, smell this and hands me Corbin. That's not my department <laughs> because it is. Partly, but it's one of those things where um, I, I use it to maybe maybe protect myself. Not getting a turkey is like protecting myself, but in certain situations, I am safe to say, you know what? That's not my responsibility. That's not part of where God has called me to change his diaper. I've tried that before; that doesn't work. You know, God didn't call me to change Corbin's diaper, and uh, she informs me that he does. What Jesus is telling the disciples here is, you know what, there's times in your life where it's not your department. What do I mean by that? I think the disciples thought that they were supposed to do everything. I think that they had this 
this sense about it that there was a tremendous amount of work that is going to be placed upon them. And Jesus is like, you know what? You're about to harvest this incredible harvest. All these people are coming because this woman that I just spoke with went back into the city. She told people about me. They're on their way out here right now. People are going to know me and find eternal life. You're going to be here and be able to pray with them and walk them through this whole thing. But you didn't do anything to get them to this point. You didn't do anything except be here right now. But that's pretty important. The first part wasn't your department. The first part wasn't your responsibility. I didn't call you out to go into the world and to do everything on your own. I sent you together. I sent you together as a body, as a family, to go into the world and to be the love of Christ, to be the hands and feet in the world. I sent you into the world to share the truth, the gospel with people, but not necessarily to do everything on your own. I think a lot of times as as Christians, we, we hear that we are to be in the world, witnesses to Christ. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, now go into the world and baptize all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Man, that's heavy. That's a big responsibility. Got to go into the world and bring people to me. But I think what he says right here is there's only part of it that you're going to be responsible for. Bill Hybels is a, a pastor in Chicago, and one of the things he said a long time ago that I've always carried with me is he said, Say somebody, when they accept Christ, um, say there's a little meter. You start at zero. And then when you get to the point where you, where you accept Christ, it's 10. And so a lot of times people think when they meet somebody and that person is at a zero, it is their job and responsibility to get them to a 10. It's like, no, that's silly. You may encounter somebody who is a zero and you may get them to one. And that's it. You may never see them reach 10, but that doesn't mean that that zero to one wasn't a huge part of their journey. You may meet somebody when they're at a four or a five and you get them to that next level. Or maybe you're the person who comes into their life at the point where they're right at the precipice of giving their life to Christ. You find them at a 9.5 and you walk in and you're the person that gets to pray with them as they accept Christ into their life. But you weren't there when they went from zero to one or one to three or to six because that wasn't your department because you can't do it on your own. I have this sometimes belief that I am supposed to raise Corbin on my own and make him a good, strong Christian man and a great little brother for his sister. And it frustrates me sometimes uh, on Friday, uh, Jenna and I were, uh, Friday's my day off, and so we were at home all, all day together with Corbin, who doesn't have school on that day. And um, at one point she goes, wow, you two are just like, bam, today. And I'm like, he won't do what I'm telling him to do. And I just get so frustrated with myself that, that I haven't raised this, this son to say everything that comes out of my mouth is like, yes, sir, you say that, done. Forget about it because I'm on it. You know, Corbin, do not 
throw the ball in their house again. Done. Never again. (laughs) Ever. Because you, Father, told me to do this. No, because what did you do? Corbin, do not throw that ball in the house again. Throws it real quick. Because it's like, it's in my mind. It's like, sorry, Dad. I know this is going to cost me, but I got to throw it, man. I just got to throw it. It was in my mind. He does this kind of stuff all the And it just wears me out. I'm like, oh. And then I realize he's two and a half. What do I expect? You know, I expect, son, don't throw that ball. Sure, Dad, because everything you say is gospel. You, you, everything about you. I want to be just like you, Dad. I'm two and a half, and I figured that out right now. And honestly, it's not my job to do that on my own anyway. It's not my job to raise Corbin up to be the man of God that I long for him to be. Part of it's my responsibility, but then Jenna has something to say about it too. And so does Gracie. And Honey, and D-Doc, and Granddaddy, and Mimi, and Uncle Fun. Yes, that's what he calls himself, the guy that plays guitar right here. And Aunt Sarah. And D-Lo, and Stace, and all these different people that are part of our family and part of our community. We all have a part in raising him to be a man of God. It's not my responsibility on my own. I have a big part of it, sure, probably bigger than everybody else. But it's not all my department. I think that's what Christ tells us. We find ourselves in these positions in life where we feel like we have to do it all. And God's like, no, that's not the way I set it up. The way I created things, Paul talks about it in the body of Christ, that you all need each other to move forward in this world, that you must be a community in this world. There are going to be moments when you're needed to do this and someone else is needed to do something else. And then, and then two months down the road, you flip-flop. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. We all have a part to play as a planter or a sower or a reaper in the harvest. How often do we find ourselves backed into a corner thinking that everything is our department? Well, here's Jesus Christ saying that's not the case. Find where God has called you to be and fit in that spot and let it just blossom with his love and spirit. And then don't worry about the other stuff. Because he didn't call you to do it on your own. And man, that's some of the best news I have ever heard. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being a God who loves us so much that you didn't create us and then cut us free and send us adrift. But you lovingly created us and then created someone else to be in community with us, in family with us. God, I pray that you would surround us with those people, that you would open our eyes, that we might experience these people in the body of Christ and in the family of God, and that we truly may go forward in this world together knowing that it's not all on our shoulders, that it's not all our department, but that you set it up, Father, for us to be in community together, to love and to serve you together. God, we thank you and praise you for that reality and for the freedom that comes with knowing that. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So there was my trap sermon. And, uh, and now we get to move into what I was thinking about all along. There you go. So today is uh, what I would call a trap Sunday for me. And by that, I mean, you know, say you're like, uh, you know, a, a college football team and you got a great thing going and then you have a big game in two weeks and you come up to this game against somebody like, I don't know, Baylor. Um, and you're like, it's Baylor. It's Waco High. Like, we need to worry about them. And all of a sudden, things get a little scary. It's one of those trap games because your eyes are focused beyond that and you get trapped up in the moment that you're in. This is a trap sermon for me because I am ready for next week. I am excited about next week. I am uh, fired up about it. In fact, so much so that we're going to talk about it um, after after my sermon. Um, But... uh, I know that I need to continue on with what I'm doing. Next week um, begins the season of Advent, November 29th, the first Sunday of Advent, and and I'm excited about it. I lo- if you've been here for any length of time, you know that I love me some Christmas. I get excited by it. Yesterday, last night, was the holiday parade, and so we went, we, we packed up the kids, and we strolled down a few blocks to see the holiday parade, and Santa Claus drove down Broadway. So it is Christmas season now. I, am ex- I almost wanted to go home and put up my decorations. Um, but I just, there's something in my the, you know, genetics that says you can't do that until after Thanksgiving. So um, if you are one of those weird people that has had them up since, like, I don't know, Halloween, you should get a Stephen Minister. Um, so, but I, I'm really excited about that. So I, I have to say uh, that we will, we have set aside some time at the end to, to talk about what's going to happen the next four weeks. But today, I don't want to do any less justice to the woman that we began to speak about last week. If you remember, if you were here last week, we uh, began the story of uh, John chapter 4, when Jesus goes and he has this encounter with um, the only way she's known in the Bible is the woman at the well. And it's an interesting title, the woman at the well. I'm sure she could be called many things, um, many of them not nice uh, If you remember from last week, basically this is what happens, okay? Jesus is trying to get from one place to another place. Uh, He's trying to go back to Galilee, I believe, and um, he could have gone the way Jews would have normally gone. See, if there there was a region, Galilee and Judea, and in between was Samaria. Now, Jews and Samarians, um, the Samaritans, they didn't get along very well. Uh, um, That's kind of underselling that as well. They didn't get along at all. And so a Jew would do everything in the Jew's power to not come in contact with the Samaritan. In fact, if they were traveling from Judea to uh, Galilee or vice versa, they would cross the Jordan River, make their travels, and then cross back over the Jordan River so that they would not have to walk through or travel through Samaria and encounter a Samaritan. They didn't like him. The, the relationship was sometimes even violent and hostile between the two groups of people. Where they came from was um, 700 years earlier than the time of Jesus or in the time of the exile. Uh, the Samaritans, who were Jews and not called Samaritans, uh, were left behind uh, during the time of the exile. The king of Babylon took most of uh, the Jews away, but he left a group behind. And for 70 years, the time of the exile, these Jews became the Samaritans uh, because they lived with other conquered peoples, 
that the king put upon them. And they began to, over the course of seven decades, intermarry. So they weren't marrying just with Jews. They would marry outside of their own faith. And, and because of that, other faith kind of uh, tendencies and religions kind of started seeping their way in to the Jewish faith of the Samaritans. So when the Jews came back and they saw what happened to their fellow Jews, they were just detestable to them. And, and they, they kicked them out and they sent them away. And, um, and from that point on, they just really didn't like each other. Uh, the, the Samaritans did, however, um, still hang on to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books that are attributed to Moses. They believed in the Messiah and waited for the coming of the Messiah the same way the Jews did. They had a little different vision of who the Messiah would be, though. Because they were so heavily Moses-based, they were looking for someone who was like Moses. Whereas the Jews kind of took a little bit more and they were looking for maybe a nationalistic leader. Um, somebody who would kind of be a, almost a political figure, if you will. And so there's a little difference in the type of person that they were looking for in the Messiah. But they both were looking for the Messiah. So when Jesus encounters this woman at the well, and, and, and he sits down, and it, it's the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, where no person would have gone to the well, here comes this woman, this Samaritan woman. And he come, she comes up to the well, and Jesus is sitting there, and he says, Hey, can a guy get a drink um, or something along those lines? <clears throat> what does a guy have to do to get a drink around here? Um, and, and, you know, first of all, he never would, you know, a Jew never would have spoken to a Samaritan, much less a Jewish man speaking to a woman while they were alone. So there was all kinds of social norms that Jesus was just shattering here. And the Samaritan woman realizes this. And she's like, whoa, why are you a Jew speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? And furthermore, how can you possibly get water from this well that is so deep when you have nothing to get it with? And Jesus says, I'm not offering that kind of water. I'm offering you a different kind of water because he offers her a drink. And uh, it goes on a little bit to, uh, to Jesus kind of calls her out and says, hey, go back and get your husband. And she says, um, yeah, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you've had five. And you're living with a man right now that you're not married to. So she could have been called a lot of things and probably was called a lot of things in her society, which ended up sending her to the well at the worst possible time of day to get water and her encounter with the Messiah. She then says when he when he reveals this information about her having many men in her life, she goes, now, wait a minute, you've got to be a prophet to know this. And so she turns the whole scenario. So she, oh, so how come you Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem? But yeah, we, we think that we should worship over here. And this is where I was intending to go with this sermon today is, is on this, this part, but we're going to do that next week instead. But what Jesus basically says is, look, man, there's a time coming when it doesn't matter where you worship. It's not going to be just in Jerusalem. It's not going to, the place where you worship is not going to matter. It's how you worship. That's the most important thing is worshiping in spirit and truth are the words he uses. Worshiping with everything you are. I don't care if you're in a sanctuary wearing a robe, in a gym with their shirt untucked. If you're, in, if you're outside somewhere, I don't care what you're doing to worship God. Just worship God is basically what he says. She's like, Whoa, this is cool stuff. 
you know, there's this Messiah dude coming. And Jesus says, hi, my name's Jesus. I'm the Messiah. If you look back in John, this is the first time he calls himself Messiah. Calls himself son of man. He kind of alludes to it, points people to it. But right here, he says, I am the Messiah. That is huge, I think, that he would do that first to a Samaritan woman. I think that speaks volumes as to Jesus' ministry and where he came and why he came. But he says, I'm the Messiah. She's like, wow. Her head's blown and she runs back into Sakaar, the the, uh, city where she came from, to tell all of her friends. About this time, the disciples come back. Now, the disciples had gone on to get um, Jesus something to eat and he just, he was tired, so he said. I mean, he's he's got really, he got tired, but he he, like sits down at this well and says, hey, y'all go ahead, I'll be fine here. And the disciples come back. And they have this encounter with him. Now, the encounter they have with him, basically, um, I'm going to read it in just a second, but here's how I'm going to sum it up. Uh, It's not your department. So think of those words. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. No, he said, I have food you don't know about. Who brought it to him? The disciples were questioning one another then jesus explained my nourishment comes from doing the will of god who sent me and from finishing his work do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends four months from now look around you vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for the harvest the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike you know the saying one person plants and someone else harvest and it's true i sent you to harvest where you didn't plant others had already done the work and you will gather the harvest it's not my department that is a phrase i use quite frequently in our home um and i like it because it's one of those things where i can just kind of not my department when the scenario comes up it's not my department and just kind of push something aside. Actually, this morning I was uh, speaking with a few people in the parlor, and one of them asked if I had, have you bought your turkey yet? And I went, that's not my department. And um, the woman who was sitting there at the time said, that is such a male answer. <laughs> and I was, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. No, it's not Jenna's department either. That's her mother's department, you know, or her grandmother's department, depending on the year. But that's not our department. And, uh, and they kind of laughed. And I said, hey, I have other things I have to do. That's just not one of them. And that, I mean, that's kind of how I use that. It's not that I want to get out of things. It's not like when she comes and says, hey, smell this and hands me Corbin. <laughs> that's not my department. <laughs> because it is. Partly. But it's one of those things where... Um, I, I, I use it to maybe maybe protect myself. Not getting a turkey is like protecting myself. But in certain situations, I am safe to say, you know what? That's not my responsibility. That's not part of where God has called me to change his diaper. I've tried that before. That doesn't work. You know, God didn't call me to change Corbin's diaper. And uh, she informs me that he does. What Jesus is telling the disciples here is, You know what? There's times in your life where it's not your department. What do I mean by that? I think that the disciples thought 
that they were supposed to do everything. I think that they had this this sense about it, that there was a tremendous amount of work that is going to be placed upon them. And Jesus is like, you know what? You're about to harvest this incredible harvest. All these people are coming because this woman that I just spoke with went back into the city. She told people about me. They're on their way out here right now. People are going to know me and find eternal life. You're going to be here and be able to pray with them and walk them through this whole thing. But you didn't do anything to get them to this point. You didn't do anything except be here right now. But that's pretty important. The first part wasn't your department. The first part wasn't your responsibility. I didn't call you out to go into the world and to do everything on your own. I sent you together. I sent you together as a body, as a family, to go into the world and to be the love of Christ, to be the hands and feet in the world. I sent you into the world to share the truth, the gospel with people, but not necessarily to do everything on your own. I think a lot of times as as Christians, we... We hear that we are to be in the world, witnesses to Christ. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Now go into the world and baptize all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Man, that's heavy. That's a big responsibility. Got to go into the world and bring people to me. But I think what he says right here is, there's only part of it that you're going to be responsible for. Bill Hybels is a, a pastor in Chicago, and one of the things he said a long time ago that I've always carried with me is, he said, say somebody, when they accept Christ, um, say there's a little meter. You start at zero, and then when you get to the point where you, where you accept Christ, it's ten. And so a lot of times people think when they meet somebody and that person is at a zero, it is their job and responsibility to get them to a ten. Like, no, that's silly. You may encounter somebody who is a zero, and you may get them to one. And that's it. You may never see them reach ten, but that doesn't mean that that zero to one wasn't a huge part of their journey. You may meet somebody when they're at a four or a five, and you get them to that next level. Or maybe you're the person who comes into their life at the point where they're right at the precipice of giving their life to Christ. You find them at a 9.5 and you walk in and you're the person that gets to pray with them as they accept Christ into their life. But you weren't there when they went from zero to one or one to three or to six. Because that wasn't your department. Because you can't do it on your own. I have this sometimes belief that I am supposed to raise Corbin on my own and make him a good, strong Christian man and a great little brother for his sister. And it frustrates me sometimes. Uh, On Friday, uh, Jenna and I were, uh, Friday's my day off, and so we were at home all all day together with Corbin, who doesn't have school on that day. And um, at one point she goes, wow, you two are just like, bam, today. And I'm like, he won't do what I'm telling him to do. And I just get so frustrated with myself that, that I haven't raised this, this son 
to say everything that comes out of my mouth is like, yes, sir, you say that, done. Forget about it because I'm on it. You know, Corbin, do not throw the ball in their house again. Done. Never again. <laughs> Ever. Because you, Father, told me to do this. No, because what did you do? Corbin, do not throw that ball in the house again. Throws it real quick. Because it's like, it's in my mind. It's like, ah. sorry, Dad. I know this is going to cost me, but I got to throw it, man. I just got to throw it. It was in my mind. He does this kind of stuff all the And it just wears me out. I'm like, oh. And then I realize, he's two and a half. What do I expect? You know, I expect, son, don't throw that ball. Sure, Dad, because everything you say is gospel. You, you, everything about you. I want to be just like you, Dad. I'm two and a half, and I figured that out right now. And honestly, it's not my job to do that on my own anyway. It's not my job to raise Corbin up to be the man of God that I long for him to be. Part of it's my responsibility, but then Jenna has something to say about it too. And so does Gracie and Honey and Dedoc and Granddaddy and Mimi and Uncle Fun. Yes, that's what he calls himself, the guy that plays guitar right here. And Aunt Sarah. And Delo and Stace and all these different people that are part of our family and part of our community. We all have a part in raising him to be a man of God. It's not my responsibility on my own. I have a big part of it, sure, probably bigger than everybody else. But it's not all my department. I think that's what Christ tells us. We find ourselves in these positions in life where we feel like we have to do it all. And God's like, no, that's not the way I set it up. The way I created things, Paul talked about it in the body of Christ, that you all need each other to move forward in this world, that you must be a community in this world. There are going to be moments when you're needed to do this and someone else is needed to do something else. And then, and then two months down the road, you flip-flop. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. We all have a part to play as a planter or a sower or a reaper in the harvest. How often do we find ourselves backed into a corner thinking that everything is our department? Well, here's Jesus Christ saying that's not the case. Find where God has called you to be and fit in that spot and let it just blossom with his love and spirit. And then don't worry about the other stuff. Because he didn't call you to do it on your own. And man, that's some of the best news I have ever heard. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being a God who loves us so much that you didn't create us and then cut us free and send us adrift. But you lovingly created us and then created someone else to be in community with us, in family with us. God, I pray that you would surround us with those people, that you would open our eyes, that we might experience these people in the body of Christ and in the family of God, and that we truly may go forward in this world together knowing that it's not all on our shoulders, that it's not all our department, but that you set it up, Father, for us to be in community together 
to love and to serve you together. God, we thank you and praise you for that reality and for the freedom that comes with knowing that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So there was my trap sermon. And, uh, and now we get to move into what I was thinking about all along. Um, starting on the 29th uh, this next week, which is the first Sunday of Advent. And um, it's a different take on the Christmas season. And we have a video that we want you to see real quick. And then Daryl and I will talk about it at the end of it. talking about we, we never like publicize a series before we do it or very rarely do we ever um, forecast and, and what's going to happen and um, but the reason we're doing this is uh, is because there's something available to you now uh, that Daryl will talk about in a few moments but what I wanted to say first off is why we're going the direction we're going this year instead of doing something silly like Festivus or something that'd be what a lame idea that'd be, that'd be funny wouldn't it um, cool poll and everything. Um, so, 
So why we're going down this Advent conspiracy road is uh, a few years ago, as, as it said, uh, three pastors, one from Portland, one from Houston, and one from St. Louis, who were in communication with their friends, um, were really dreading the Advent season approaching and wanted to do something different. So what they did was they kind of wrote the Advent conspiracy. And as it said, there are four, four churches that one other one gathered with them, um, raised the money, and they sent it to an organization to build water wells. And, and then last year, uh, we had the opportunity to do it, um, and Daryl was actually in communication with one of the, the pastors that started it, and, uh, and then, yeah, we went a different route. Um, but this year, we kind of felt God really pulling us towards this uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but basically, to sum it up is, during the most wonderful time of year, the time when we celebrate the birth of Christ, our Savior, we have a tendency to forget that. And we have a tendency to cram our lives with so much stuff and worries and burdens that it takes everything that Christ stood for out of it. And Christmas is my favorite time of year, without a doubt. Love me some Christmas. But every year, I miss the greatest stuff that I love about it. And when we were talking at the first service about what our favorite memories were of Christmas, both of them had to do relations with relations. Um, He and his children, um, me and my brother and sister and uh, sister-in-law one night when we, uh, one Christmas Eve. Um, that some of our favorite mem- memories revolve around the people that we spend the time with, not the presents that we get. That's not to say, as my in-laws are in the back, that I don't want presents, but we still want gifts. We still want gifts. No, not really. Just kidding. I'm a no. Uh, but what we what we came to realize is that maybe if we gave more thoughtful gifts, more intentional gifts, instead of having the conversation of okay, well, we think that they're going to spend this amount on us so that we need to spend this amount on them. Well, I picked them up something that cost this amount, but I haven't achieved that goal where we set we want to be this amount. So go run out and get something for about 10 bucks. And, you know, Jen and I had this conversation yesterday or the day before of, okay, you know, the the Christmas card list and then the Christmas gift list. First of all, who makes which list? Who's worthy enough to be on both? Who's just a card person? Who's a gift person? How much money do you spend on the gift? Do you go out and actually spend time, or you just have to do it, and you wear yourself out thinking about it? Yeah. So we don't want to do that this year. And we want to spend more time together as a family um, and do more things as a community. We went with a group of people yesterday to the holiday parade. And that was because we wanted to do something with a group of people and spend time together with a bunch of little knucklehead two-year-olds. And it was fun and great. Um, And we want to do more stuff because the point behind Advent Conspiracy is spending time together and remembering why we celebrate this season and then spending less on presents. And we're not saying don't get presents. Just spend less. Be more intentional about what you give. Create them yourselves even. Um, And then... Spend that money in maybe a different way by giving money to Living Water International, which uh, Daryl is going to talk about now. Uh, One of the things that I would like to say about this that is because of our congregation here, you know, we have we're very dedicated um, to missions and um, doing things 
in our city, um, in our state, and in other countries. And you know, the support that you all of you give to this church that enables our missions um, has a lot of effects, a couple of which I can tell you for Michael and I personally, this fall alone we got to go to Mexico and uh, then Costa Rica. And um, hopefully we can take, go back and take you with us. But, um, you know, just being down there, I come back from a place in Costa Rica two weeks ago and mix that with upcoming Advent, and there's nothing that I want there's no gift that I need after being there that I sit there and say, you know, I want that more than I want to give these people water or shelter or food. I want that more than I want a gift. And that's not because I'm some great Christian or humanist or anything like that. It's just because you've sent me there. And as a result, I'm changed. And, and, and all the missionaries that we have sent down there are changed. So I think this is just a continuing extension of that. Um, and we recognize, as Michael said, we're not saying don't buy gifts there's a there's a good principle in buying gifts for other people um that is something that we could tie back to the message of christ you know that that unexpected undeserved gift and that the real gift is is watching the joy that happens um from the person that receives and that our father experiences that as well in us our heavenly father experiences that when we accept the undeserved and unexpected gift of christ so um we recognize you still got to buy some gifts. We are going to be encouraging you through this series um, to spend less. And perhaps if you save and are so motivated, we've got an outlet for you to send uh, your money to Living Water International, which is a Christian organization that puts water pumps in communities in the third world countries that have no access to water or they have dangerous access to water. You might have heard stories like this where the mothers or the children might have to walk nine, ten miles a day just to get water to cook with, um, or perhaps along the way it's a dangerous route, and so they could be attacked on that route to get water. Um, so Living Water International just goes into different communities like that, and in the name of Jesus, puts water pumps in and just supplies people with water. And there's an outstanding video about it on our website. If you have time, check it out. Um, I think the one in, in, on the website is all about um, placing water pumps in India, in villages in India. But um, as part of our campaign here, we've got what's called the More Store, and we've got this um, More campaign where we have these items available. So if you do have to buy a gift, um, hopefully you could buy one of these gifts. We've got shirts and water bottles, yeah, shirts and water bottles and little, little trinkets. There's nothing significant, nothing life-changing. It's not the gift... Um, the actual gift that's going to change the life of the person you're receiving that's receiving this, but whoever you give it to, it's going to come with a card that explains what it's about, that they're receiving more than a T-shirt, that when you bought that T-shirt, yes, you've given them that T-shirt, which helps us spread the word. It's marketing. gets the word out there about the campaign. But you also made a donation to Living Water International in that person's name. So you have a gift card that comes with it that explains all that. Um, and these are just little, like I said, little insignificant gifts that are more marketing than, than the, uh, the gift itself. But, for example, the T-shirt, I think it's on the website, it's $25. Um, I think the shirt costs us like $8 to make. So there's $17 to Living Water International. Um, and you don't have to buy it on the website. This is really more for out of town. Uh, and as you spread the words, we're going to have these items available here in the parlor and outside over here by the children's wing, um, hopefully by the time you come back from Thanksgiving and all throughout Advent. 
And you will notice that they're all blue in color. We kind of stayed away from the Christmas theme so that we wouldn't be pigeonholed into just selling this stuff during Advent. It'll be available all year long um, on the website. And then every Advent, we'll bring it back out, hopefully add new items in the future, and make a significant donation as a community to Living Water International every year uh, during Christmas time. Yeah, and the reason that we wanted to do this right now, and we, we don't want this to sell, sound like a sales pitch, and if it is, forgive us, that's not where we're coming from, um, because we prayerfully have considered what we were doing this Christmas season and really truly believe that God wants us to focus focus on worshiping fully, giving um, uh, more, spending less, and loving all, which are the four Sundays of Advent this year, um, and, and really kind of uh, re-envisioning or re-remembering what Christmas is, is about. And we know that you probably have already um, begun the hustle and bustle of Christmas shopping. And, uh, and if you are one of those people who has gone through your list already and and made the determination that this person is only a $30 level person or this one's a $10 level person, we're offering you um, those levels of love, let's face it, that's what it is, um, in a way that maybe you can do more uh, this year than giving somebody something that they'll say, oh, thank you, and then um, rent a storage facility a month later to keep all that stuff in. So next week we begin to worship fully and the Advent Conspiracy. Uh, we do encourage you to go to the website and check out the, uh, the video of Living Water International. It is an amazing thing that they do um, to think about that you can go turn your faucet on here and drink water, and yet um, millions of people around the world can't uh, do that. They, they show a, a picture of the water. Scroll down, okay, right there, that most people drink. And that's appalling uh, to see that. So if you have any questions about this, uh, or concerns, or um, you're already bitter and angry about what we're doing. Um, <laughs> you know, we know that some of y'all were angry about W5, and you didn't say anything until the end of it. So speak now, um, because we can work it out and pray through it. Um, we, if you, please come and see us, talk to us about it, and uh, invite your friends to come to the Advent Conspiracy starting next week. See you then.